Pod is a ministry of Grace Church Greenwich. For more resources to help you get to know God better through his word, including bite-sized theology and answers to big questions, do check out www.greenwich.church. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Grace Pod, and in this episode we're looking at Mark's Gospel from chapter 1 verse 16 all the way through to chapter 2 verse 14. And that might seem like quite a strange section because one, it's very long, and secondly, it finishes in the middle of a paragraph, at least according to my ESV Bible. So why are we taking that as a section, Andy? Well, we're trying to be sensitive to the sections Mark wants to flag up. We know that um, structure is very important to him, and uh, at either end of this we have very similar episodes. So um, they're both um, about um, by the sea, um, Jesus being by the sea, um, there's busy workers and he calls them and in both of them they follow him so they're, they're actually very closely linked it's the beginning and the end bits and the words are actually the same aren't they beside the sea follow me they left and they followed and then beside the sea follow me they left and they followed so Mark's actually made it identical exactly <clears throat> and the um, the question that we're asking at the beginning at least is what's going on why would these people having seen very little, maybe a you know voice from heaven in chapter one, but they haven't, they don't know that much about Jesus, and yet they immediately leave their nets um, and they leave Zebedee in the boat. I love that scene that the dad is like still fishing, like where are you going, Gosh. sons? And they're off they go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he's left. Um, so Zebedee and sons, they have to cross out the and sons on the side of the boat, um, and then and it happens immediately, which everything in this. And we, the action starts and everything happens immediately. They leave their boats immediately. They went to Capernaum and a, um, a man with an evil spirit immediately arrives and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so why would they do it? Exactly. And I think some of the, the middle section tells us, well, let's see why it makes absolute sense to do it and why he has this sort of magnetism to him. He's got an authority which um, can't be resisted. Now, some people love chiasms, which, if you don't know, are kind of the structure of a a, a, bib, a biblical structure or just a, a literary structure, but often used in the Bible, where it's like a kind of Big Mac sandwich. So there's lots of layers that, that match each other, the outer bits of bread and then the... I actually don't know the structure of Big Mac, but let's, it goes bread and then burger and then other bit of bread, doesn't it's it? It's got to be a gherkin. <laughs> it's got a gherkin somewhere. But the point is, you get outer layers that match each other and then you can kind of keep going in impaired things so it's a a b c d um c b a kind of structure <clears throat> so we're going to we're going to try and show you that and, and we'll talk through the grace pod according to those l- layers at least to start with so on the outside layer is this by the sea follow me and they followed him that's at the beginning and it's at the end of the section you go in one so you go to a just after the first follow me and just before the last follow me and you find again geographically Jesus is in the same place so he's in the beside the sea then he's in Capernaum and at the end of the section he's in Capernaum then he's by the sea um, the same thing happens by the sea he says follow me the same thing happens in Capernaum there's a something that happens that causes people to remark on his authority or to question his authority and so um, in Capernaum on the synagogue, they were astonished at his teaching. He taught as one who had authority. And then Jesus does an exorcism, which seems to underline and prove that authority. So it's not just that he can talk the talk, but as he speaks, evil spirits have to obey him. So they say, 
what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. So the exorcism underlines the authority of his words. And then that's the same thing as happens in Capernaum at the end of the section. So Jesus is again in Capernaum. This time um, his words are to announce that a man is forgiven. We'll come back to this later. And people question his authority. How come he's got authority to do this? Well, then he proves it by amazingly healing this man who's paralysed so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. So um, first layer, follow me, and they do. Next layer in, Jesus has authority in his words, which is demonstrated and proved by an exorcism and by healing. And I love just, and without going any further, I love how those two go together, because if Jesus has this kind of authority it starts to be very sensible that you would leave everything to follow him. And um, do you want to say a little bit about how, because I guess you could prove authority in, in various ways, you know, God could just do some arbitrary miracle like right in the sky, hi, I'm God, or he could levitate a cocker spaniel for 30 seconds. Sorry, Gustav, it's my dog just over there. But you know, you could just do some miraculous party trick, but Jesus doesn't just do any arbitrary he does these particular things yeah so they're they're really incredible turnaround reversals of what's gone wrong in the world so evil um uh, he he commands evil spirits to come out and they they immediately leave um he does it with sickness uh, this is a wherever you go in the world this is a, a really terrible blight across all humanity and he just um takes simon's mother-in-law by the hand and the fever leaves her and then he does it to the whole town um and you know if he were in london he would just empty the hospitals he just everyone is immediately um healed who was sick with various diseases and so on and he just shows his authority um, again not by turning milk into orange juice but by dealing with the the real problem we have in this world um and he does it um well we'll come on to this in a, in a minute but in um in the bible storyline um there's a root problem which causes other problems if you know the beginning of the bible it, it begins with um a problem where uh, humanity rebels against god and then all the other stuff goes wrong so the the spread of evil um spread of sickness all these things are symptoms really of a deeper problem and we're going to see um in a moment you know jesus doesn't just fix the the symptoms but he can go right to the root of it as well if you were to say the whole story of the bible um not just of mark's gospel but the whole bible you'd start with god made a beautiful world and then human beings rebel against god and it gets terribly broken and then the bible ends with god remakes or restores a beautiful world and there's this a passage that Christians love in Revelation 21 that probably everyone listening to Grace Board knows by heart. But um, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had passed away. And it talks about God wiping away every tear and there's no more mourning or crying or pain. Um, a beautifully fixed world. And I think you you hear that. It's a beautiful thing. But you think, is this just wishful thinking? Is it, you know, Christians would love to believe that it could all be fixed one day. And so they fantasize about this paradise world but what i love here is that in history in capernaum jesus gives a preview of it he says revelation 21 isn't just a promise i mean it is a promise about the future but it's also 
glimpsed in history in microcosm. You go to Capernaum, you see a little bit of Revelation 21. You see mourning ending. You see pain ceasing. Um, and it's just, it, it, it means that what Christians believe about the future is well grounded in history. You know, there's a reason to be optimistic that God can fix the world because he proved he can. He proved his authority to do it. And we need a king with who can actually get things done and put things right properly. Um, so we, we began in the first 15 verses. Jesus says, look, I'm here. The king has arrived. It's going to be great news. And sure enough, it is the best news you can imagine. And so no wonder um, people leave their nets. You know, if, if this is on offer, you would leave anything and you would get on board or off board and on board with him uh, immediately. Okay, so we've only gone two layers into our Big Mac sandwich, and we've already seen fantastic things, but you want to take us further in, Andrew. So on the outside, by the sea, follow me, then in one layer, Capernaum Authority, and then in another layer... Yeah, so then we get to um, hand-touch miracles. So uh, I mentioned Simon's mother-in-law in verse 31. He took her by the hand, and we get the same uh, with a leper in verse 41. He stretched out his hand and touched him. Um, and there's overwhelming crowds in both of them, so they're they're, they're clearly paired together. And um, we, uh, yeah, let's let's go to the middle of the. Oftentimes, when you see this concentric circle pattern, um, the interesting thing is to see what the writers put in the middle. And he's often it's the equivalent of bold italics because he didn't have bold italics. And and the right at the middle is this bit. It's verses 35 to 39. It's a strange episode. Jesus has, has hit the big time. He's got massive fame. But what he does is he, he then rises up early in the morning while it's still dark, goes out to, to a lonely place and prays. And it's like a Jesus prays in, in the gospel at moments of big decision in his life. And clearly it's a turning point, it's a crossroads. Uh, his disciples come and say, look, everyone's looking for you. This is our This is our time. We've got to strike while the iron's hot. And he says, no, I've got a different idea. We're going to go somewhere else next. And the reason is that I might preach there. That's why I came. So it's not that he's, he's anti-healing. You know, it's, Jesus is full of compassion. He loves putting things right. But he's got a priority which is even better than healing. And he wants to get his message out. And uh, Mark puts this right at the centre to, to make us notice there's something we, we mustn't miss here. There's a priority Jesus has, which um, is even above, you know, the most incredible thing of, of you know, uh, alleviating um, suffering. And I guess that helps with the big question that occurs to us. You know, we see Jesus healing a whole village in Capernaum and every disease is healed. And then you go, well, why hasn't Jesus done that since? You know, for the last 2,000 years... What about London's hospitals? You know, they could do with some miraculous healing. And so if we think that Jesus' mission is to sort out all sicknesses now, well, it's just, I mean, pretty obviously hasn't been what he's, he's done. I mean, hospitals are full of sick people today and Christians are in hospital today. So this helps a lot with that, I think, that what we're seeing, that the healings we see are demonstrations to authenticate this message but it's just a glimpse. So in Capernaum, it's like a case study of what God can do with his kingdom, what he will do in the end with his kingdom, but he's not going to do it everywhere now. Um, The thing he's doing everywhere now is announcing this message, the kingdom of God is here. If you want to know what that entails, look at Capernaum, but it's an announcement. 
And then immediately once we've got this this question of what is it about his message that's so important, we then Mark gives us then two episodes with healings. And, and the one thing we know Mark isn't saying is, oh, by the way, Jesus can heal, because we already know he can do it on a massive scale. So this time we're looking at these healings and think we're tuning in and saying he's there's something uh, about his message that he's communicating through the healings. And when we see them in that light, they are very revealing. So do you want to tell us about the leper and what we're learning from him? I think this is, it's really profound, but we easily miss it because I'll just do a little preamble first and we'll look at the leper. But I think we've, Christians often say, and there's something really important about this, that sin and sickness are not connected. So you don't look at a particularly ill person and say God is punishing you now it's it's crucial that we that we make that clear because otherwise we end up believing in karma I mean this is what many people in the world believe that every suffering person is getting what's coming to them and that isn't a Christian doctrine so it's, it's not true that the most faithful Christians will always be healthy it's not true that the worst sinners will always be ill and, you know, there's places in the Bible that underline that. So the book of Job, that's really the whole point of the book of Job. Job is righteous, but he's suffering and his friends all think it must be his fault. And it, it's not his fault. And Jesus underlines it in places like John chapter 9 with a blind man. You know, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? No, neither. Um, it was not that he sinned or his parents sinned, but that the work of God might be shown in his life. So there's places in the Bible that, that break that connection between sin and sickness. So we hear that and we emphasise that rightly, but we kind of overemphasise it. We, we the pendulum swings so far that we forget that there is a, often a connection between sin and sickness. So not always and not in every case, but there are people in the in the Bible who get ill because they're sinful, and particularly they get leprous because they're sinful. So Miriam when she opposes Moses, or Gehazi, um, Elisha's servant when he tries to steal from Naaman, the new convert. Um, or even in the New Testament, you know, in 1 Corinthians 11, people who are sick because they're despising the, the Lord's Supper and eating it un- unworthily. So it's quite nuanced, actually. There's not always a connection between sin and sickness. There is sometimes a connection between sin and sickness. And as you already pointed out, in general, the fact that there's sickness in the world at all is because of the fall and the brokenness of our relationship with God. So with that background... Um, we look at the the leper and we find that he's not described as being healed but as being cleansed Um, and the vocabulary is quite different and quite deliberate and we've seen the idea of clean and unclean before in terms of spirits there's been unclean spirits aka evil spirits so there's something about the vocabulary describing this man's condition that is the same as the vocabulary that that described an evil spirit yeah, and also, um, as soon as the guy gets wonderfully healed, um, Jesus says to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, verse 44, go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded. So Jesus wants us to see this healing, not as just oh, another example, Jesus can do this, but he wants us to see what, what it always meant in the Old Testament law. And in the Old Testament law, especially Leviticus um, 13 and 14, we um, we see that God set up leprosy in particular as a visual aid of uh, to teach us about sin. So just as sin spreads 
um, leprosy is an, an example of a contagious disease um, depending on what it is it's yeah you could argue which modern diseases are where the Hansen disease <laughs> this is, is where Andrew he used yeah, to be I'll a doctor who gets distracted by like dermatological um, possibilities <laughs> but, but the, the point is that um, at, a, at a ritual level if you come into contact uh, you become yourself unclean and um, it does actually remind me of um, I was, um, a medical video we had to watch on the first day we were all itching to get onto the wards and the first hour was just saying wash your hands and make sure you wash your hands and the, um, the ha- we had to watch a video where th- there was like a, a, a neon green uh, marker pen to show where the infection on the wound was and it was a, a, a patient in a ward and then somebody touched the wound and spread the neon green to the curtain and then onto his tie and then onto his stethoscope and then someone else touched it and within about 25 seconds you know this neon green had spread to nearly the whole screen and it was just to make the simple point that infection spreads and that's one of the points that um, God is making in the Old Testament just like uh, the ritual uncleanness of the leper spreads from person to person always in one direction always from the unclean to the clean that's what sin has done in our world and, and right from the beginning of the Bible it just goes in one direction every new generation every new nation it's always sin spreads to it um, and all of that puts in perspective this this incredible moment in verse 41 he stretches out his hand he touches him and you're not meant to touch unclean people <laughs> everyone knows that, that the ritual uncleanness jesus you will you will be ritually unclean but for the first time in history instead of uncleanness polluting jesus's purity and cleanness flows in the other direction and cleanses the guy and this is a moment of just one you can imagine that bright green screen that is for the first time it starts getting erased and there's the hope that there might be a cleaning up job in this world so you don't you, you don't think um, I've got a, a fruit bowl full of apples that are going bad I'll put in a good apple and it will turn the other apples good it's like the, the mold spreads from the bad apples to the clean one or you don't heal people in a COVID ward by putting someone without COVID into the ward. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. So it plays the opposite way around. Um, I remember Ben Thompson, our, our friend, he teaches Old Testament in, in Singapore. Um, him pointing this out to me, because I was, I was teaching Haggai, and it has this thing in Haggai in chapter 2 about contagious evil. It's the same point. And um, because Ben knows his Old Testament really well, he said, oh, of course, there is one exception in the Old Testament law. And it's the things um, about the around the altar which are most holy, and it's the one exception where holiness is contagious rather than uncleanness. And I thought that was really cool because actually Jesus here is like the most holy, and and he you know will be the place of atonement, and so from him cleanse cleanness spreads out so a mobile holy of holies walking around yeah. bringing cleansing <laughs> yeah. all around Capernaum, and here it is. Um, so that's the first thing, you know, we're, we're asking the question, why is Jesus, why does he have this priority of getting his message out even above healing? Well, answer number one, what if he could heal on the inside? What if he could cleanse sin and make people clean forever on the inside? I just, even though we just said this, I feel that he'd say it again. So we're not saying you find a leprous person in hospital, they're particularly guilty, necessarily. We are saying... Um, leprosy is a sign of sin and like all, like all sicknesses and brokenness in the world. 
and Jesus heals, stroke, cleanses, stroke, atones. So in, in Leviticus, in that the procedure with the priest, it involves a guilt offering and a sin offering. And you make atonement for your sin and then you're clean. So we've got this idea that a healing could have a sin element to it or a sin forgiving element to it, which takes us neatly into the next episode. And this is a famous episode where the this, the crowds are so big, they can't get these friends, can't get their paralytic friend to Jesus. And, you know, you can imagine Jesus down in that house and then the plaster keeps crumbling above him. Everyone looks up and then they can see daylight and they they drop this guy through the roof of the house uh, into and you know it invariably happens a crowd does clear at the, and you do get a little bit of space in the middle i remember reading an evangelistic book that explained you know for people who don't know um middle eastern architecture that there were flat roofs they were made of mud and it, so he said it wouldn't actually be that difficult to to dig a hole in the roof it's just very rude. Which yeah. I love that. Like it's not a polite way to enter someone's living room, but they're so desperate to get their friend there. And then when he arrives, um, and we we already know Mark's already told us Jesus can heal. So there's something more in this message, and Jesus changes the subject and he says, "Your sins are forgiven." And um, it's a it's a strange moment. Everyone's thinking, "Hang on, uh, isn't can't you see?" diagnostic skills are low here can't you see what this guy's real problem is can't walk um, and Jesus is making a point no my diagnosis I go a, a level deeper so you're looking at um, you know one thing but the, the, this man's real problem is his sins and they say hang on you can't speak like that you're blaspheming um, no one can forgive sins but God which they're right and so Jesus says okay let me let me show you by doing what you think is the hard thing, the healing, that I can do actually what is really much harder but invisible, uh, forgive sins. And, and he says, rise up, take up your mat and walk. And he jumps up and um, we, we discover that, yes, Jesus can heal, but his healing is on a different level. He can heal our sin sickness, um, which is much, much more serious. And so we're, we're starting to see why this priority why jesus has this agenda so it's not that he's again he likes you know being compassionate ending suffering but something is far more important to him um he wants people to be cleansed on the inside he wants them to be forgiven which happens to do this word that he preaches precisely um there's another old testament idea that comes in here so when when they say to jesus no one can forgive sins but god alone they're actually not quite right so Jesus' reply isn't, yes, that's right, I'm God. It's, I mean, he basically says that, but he says it in a more subtle way. He says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And Jesus is alluding to this promise in this prophecy in Daniel chapter 7, where the Ancient of Days, um, where God Almighty, I guess probably it's God the Father, um, entrusts to this King, this Son of Man, all power and authority that all the nations might worship and serve him. So actually there's two characters in Daniel 7. There's um, there's the Ancient of Days and there's the Son of Man. And they share power and authority and glory. And we know that God doesn't share his glory with anyone else. So it, it actually must be a sort of Trinitarian picture here. Here is God the Father sharing, deliberately handing over 
um, his power and authority or sharing his power and authority with this king that he wants everyone to honour. And Jesus is saying, I am that character. So it's not quite the same as Jesus saying, yes, that's what I'm God, because that could sound like I'm, you know, I'm God the monad, I'm God the one, the one person. But he's saying, I'm the son of man. That is to say, I'm the the king in relationship with God the Father. It's yeah. like a sort of trinity thing. Um, yeah, a little extra. Yeah. There. And, and we've thought about, you know, one of the big take homes of this whole section is just to enjoy that our hope is well grounded. We Jesus really can uh, have, he has authority in his word to put right all that is wrong in this world. And we should have great hope. We should look forward to Revelation 21 uh, because Jesus is, is going to fix it. But there's another, another line of um, application, I think, for us, which is um, about Jesus' priority and his agenda. And there are lots of ways, I think, Christians uh, try and impose our agenda on Jesus and tell him what we want him to fix. Um, and I think this passage just um, says, be careful about that and let Jesus tell you his agenda. And of course, his agenda is much more wonderful and beautiful because it gets really to the heart of things and fixes things at the core. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God's at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, says Jesus. And then he walks along and sees Simon and Andrew and says, follow me. And they do. And you think, what? That's a bit radical. And then he spends two chapters gloriously giving you a glimpse of the the kingdom where there's no sickness and no evil and where uncleanness is cleansed and where sins are forgiven. And then he says to Levi, follow me. And he rises and follow him. And you're like, well, obviously. I'm like, he wouldn't. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I'm in. Thank you for listening to Grace Pod. For more information about Grace Church Greenwich, visit www.greenwich.church.